Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. We have been in a series over the last few weeks called Be a Light. And if you have been a part of the last few weeks with us, you have heard Pastor Brady allude to that this has been one of the hardest times that him and Amy has ever walked through. And the reason this has been such a hard time for our pastor and his wife is because a little bit ago, Amy was diagnosed with breast cancer. And you think in our immediate response is, well, I want to do something. I want to help in some way, which is a natural response. But let me just go ahead and tell us here today that the best thing we can do at this time is to lift up our pastor and his wife. Because we have a God that is big. He's even referred to as the great physician. So in the weeks to come, as you think about Pastor Brady, as you think about Amy on this journey where they're recognizing that God is leveraging pain to bring them back and to let them know in a really authentic way that he is in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the struggle. Make sure that you pray for them and you lift them up as they're walking through this very hard time. Today, we get the opportunity to look at another man who was on another journey, a man named Nicodemus. If you have been around church circles at all, you've heard of Nicodemus because John 3.16 comes out of this encounter, this initial encounter with Nicodemus. We see that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He knows God's word and he knows it well. Also, he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which is the equivalent in this day to what our Supreme Court would be. They would kind of navigate the rules and they would help the Roman Empire rule the nation of Israel. And so they, he was a very important player in this time. Not only that, but Nicodemus had a lot of money, a lot of money. And we all know that sometimes when you have all that money, Jesus says it's almost harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And so Nicodemus had everything going for him. He had position. He had resources. He had influence. And he's going to have an encounter with Jesus that is going to change him in the course of his life. But just like we are, whenever we are faced with a life-changing decision, we all get a little reluctant. Why do we get a little reluctant? Why does Nicodemus get a little reluctant? Well, one of the reasons is this. We all know that the first step of any new journey is the hardest step. Can I get an amen? Why? Because we have been used to walking in a certain way. We've been used to navigating how we navigate. And to do something different and to take a different step requires a whole bunch of faith. And so for Nicodemus, his first step into this transformation and to this relationship with Jesus is a very difficult step. Just like for all of us, when we take our first step into maybe a similar path that Nicodemus was on, it is difficult. So some years ago, I was hanging out with some students, a student council at a high school, and they said that we were going to go do some ropes course stuff for team building. If you've ever been a part of ropes courses with team building, basically the reason that your team comes together is because you all are afraid of dying together. Because they do things on these events and do things in these trainings that you go, why don't you like humans? 
Why would anyone ever in the history of the world want to do anything like this? Because this is not making me want to be closer to people. It's making me want to go home. And so me being a leader, they said, um, hey, Nick, would you like to go first in our next thing? And I said, no. And they're like, well, you're going to go first. And I was like, okay. And so what the next obstacle was, was there was this, I think it was a 50-foot pole. You climb up the pole and you stand on top of it. And then once you get to the top of the 50-foot pole, there's a trapeze bar. And they say, what we want you to do when you get to the top of the pole is to jump out on the trapeze bar. It will be awesome. Now they go, but don't worry. You are harnessed in. And you're like, thank you. But what if the harness breaks? And also, you're telling me that you want me to jump off a perfectly good pole and leap to a trapeze bar. And so I remember climbing up the bar, up, up the pegs, getting to the top. And here's the thing about the pole that they did not tell me. Because it's so tall, it was swaying in the wind. You know, either your prayer life is going to grow or you're going to say some words that are not very nice, okay? And so I remember the person at the bottom was like, just jump. Just jump. Don't, I'll jump off this pole and drop kick you. Don't tell me to just jump. And I remember thinking to myself, why would anyone ever want to do this? This is a brand new step. This is a new way of operating. But here's the deal. It took me a minute. It took me some encouragement, but eventually I leapt. And I caught the bar, by the way. But it was one of the scariest things I had ever done. Why? Because I had to surrender control. And one of the problems that keep us from stepping into a new identity and stepping a new way is that we are control freaks. Do not elbow your spouse or your friend and be like, he's talking to you. We, I am talking to everybody because everybody, wherever we are, we have this propensity to want to be in control of everything. And here is a newsflash. You are never in control. You might think that you are. You might feel that you are. But you are not ever in control. And to release perceived control to something else is difficult for us all. The third reason why it's so hard to take this new step and to walk in this first step of transformation is this. Is that for all of us, we don't like admitting that we may have been wrong. No one's going to amen that. But because we want everyone to think that we all have our stuff together, that we've always know what the next step is, that we are really good at navigating our life and controlling our lives. But let me just tell you, we have all been wrong before. And one of the most difficult things for me to say in my relationship with my wife is this right here. I'm sorry I was wrong. Why? Because that shows weakness, in my opinion. That shows that I don't have all the things together that I want to have together. And I'm sure Nicodemus, because he was human like we all are, was struggling with this new information and was struggling with this new way. But we're going to see over the course of Scripture that eventually he got to a place where he was able to navigate in a new way. And so my prayer for us today for us in this room, for those watching online, for those of you canon, is this, is that we will get to a place that we are willing to surrender to the king who is more able 
that we will step into the light, that we will embrace it, and that we will be led and moved by the producer of light, and that is Jesus. So before we dive in, before we open up the scriptures, let us pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer for us today is that we will see your hands on our life, that we will see this invitation, that we, Lord, ultimately will surrender and submit. And Father, if there's anyone in this place, if there's anyone watching online, if there's anyone who knows that they need to step into this light and step into relationship with you, may they do that in this place. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is you read God's word with, turn to John chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read all 21 verses. Then we're going to jump, jump to another chapter in John and then finish out with another chapter in John. Because these are the three places where we will see Nicodemus. So Nicodemus first meets Jesus or first goes and encounters Jesus at night. Remember in Scripture, whenever they use night, it is talking about not only a physical point of being, but also a spiritual point of being. And so when it talks about night right here, what we're going to see in John chapter 3, is not just talking about it is no longer, the sun is no longer shining. It's also kind of revealing where Nicodemus is spiritually. So John chapter 3, we're going to see Nicodemus go at night to meet Jesus. It says this, John 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin. And hear this. Most of the Pharisees that we have seen up to this point are trying to argue with Jesus, are accusing Jesus. But what Nicodemus is doing is he's just trying to get more information. He's a lot of the Pharisees, which were the majority of the Pharisees, that just wants the nation of Israel to get back to a place where they honor the Scripture and live by it. Verse number two. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Here's what I love about this encounter is notice that Jesus doesn't go, hey, Nicodemus, why are you coming at night? Why didn't you just come in the daytime? That is not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He does what light does. Light meets darkness where it is. So Jesus was willing to meet Nicodemus right where he was. He didn't say, hey, Nicodemus, you have to believe anything right now. He didn't say, hey, Nicodemus, you need to clean yourself up. He didn't even say, Nicodemus, I want you to know that you've been wrong. He just meets him at the point in which Nicodemus was ready to be met. And can I just go ahead and say this to everybody? That's the same place that Jesus has met or desires to meet each and every one of us. He meets you right where you are. Verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. This is a fair question. Would y'all agree? Nicodemus like, listen, ho, 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 Jesus. Like, I mean, I know a little bit about how babies happen, 
What do you mean born again? That sounds very unpleasant for the mother. What are you talking about? And it's a very fitting question. And Jesus, you find Jesus in conversation will say things and people are like, what did you just say? Here's one of those encounters where Nicodemus can't fully understand what Jesus is trying to say. Verse number five, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Here is something you need to know about Jesus. He is always calling out identity in us. He is always inviting us to a better identity. And so when he talks about water and spirit, what he is talking about is everyone who is here was born of water. I'm not going to go into all the biology of that, everybody. But everyone was born and water was involved. And what he says after that is, but you also must be born in spirit. That means that you must believe in Jesus if you're truly going to live. See, here's what I notice, is that light reveals identity. Jesus goes, everyone has an identity that is given to them at birth. You're male or female. You kind of see what color you are. That's part of your identity. But a more full identity is sealed in the spirit. It's an identity that only you can get from me. Verse number nine. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And notice, yet again, Jesus is talking about himself in the third person. You know, no one has gone into heaven except for the Son of Man. And by the way, I'm him, just for your information. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let's pause right here for just a second. See, Jesus is going to use Moses because knowing where Nicodemus is going from, knowing that he's a Pharisee, knowing that he holds Moses in a very high regard, he is speaking in a way in which Nicodemus can understand. He goes, listen, just like Moses, when he was in the desert, held up his staff with a snake on top of it in order to protect and to heal the people, the Israelites who ran from God, who were being bitten by snake, all they had to do was look up at the snake on the staff and they would be healed. And he goes, that's exactly what I have come to do. He breaks it down in a way that Nicodemus can understand it so that it can take a root in his heart and change his life. Verse number 16, the gospel in a verse. For God always starts with God. The gospel initiated with God, not with us. For God so loved, we know that initiated with God and the motivation was love, the world, which is all of us, 
that he gave, that he paid the price, that he paid the debt that we could not pay, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, who's included in whoever, everybody, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not based on what they have done, but based on my completed work and the payment of Jesus on a cross. He answered a need for us that we could not answer for ourselves. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Light provides clarity. Last week when we saw Brady do the black light thing on Sunday and He had this illustration where he just shined this black light over these words and they were illuminated. That's exactly what light does. It illuminates the truth. And so light provides clarity. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing for Nicodemus. He is using something familiar and he is shedding the light of his gospel and the light of his favor on it so that Nicodemus can see what is true. Verse number 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is what Jesus said. Hey, there is a reason why people are reluctant to engage the light. Maybe they're control freaks. Maybe they're afraid of the first step. Maybe they don't want to admit that they're wrong. But people have loved the darkness, and I am the light, and I'm here to reveal what is true. Let's jump to John chapter 7, verse 45. So Nicodemus, Jesus is causing all kinds of trouble. That's what Jesus did. If you read the narrative of Jesus, you're like, man, that brother's always in trouble. Why was he in trouble? Because he loved people that people thought he shouldn't love, and he would remind people who thought they knew the truth of what actually was true. If you operate that way, sometimes people don't like you. So verse number 45 in John chapter 7 says this. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priest and the Pharisees who asked him, Why didn't you bring him in, talking about Jesus? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Here's what I love about Nicodemus and here's what we see through this passage of scripture. Is that Nicodemus is starting to change a little bit. And we see, and this is the story for all of us, embracing the light is a process. 
Now, Nicodemus wasn't ready to come out and say, hey, everybody, I believe everything he has said. I believe he is the Son of God. No, no, no. But you see that he now is more open to believing that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is who he says he is. So he moves from this guy who goes at night to meet Jesus to a guy who kind of defends Jesus because he is warming up to the fact that maybe, just maybe, Jesus might be who he said he is. Last week, I got the opportunity with Pastor Brady to baptize a man named Ken. And I love stories, y'all. And Ken was telling me three years ago, Brady went to visit him in the hospital. He was struggling with pneumonia, and at that point, because God had been just working on him and working on him, he came to a point where he surrendered his life to Jesus. And then last week, three years later, through a cancer diagnosis, through some hard circumstances, he went public with his faith. You know what I love? Is that I got to watch him and Brady interact, and you know Brady didn't yell at him for waiting three years to get baptized? Like, there was no one upstairs with him that said, hey, Ken, what took you so long? Hey, Ken, why didn't you do this immediately? Hey, Ken, what is going on with you? No, 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 no. None of us did that. Why? Because we recognize that it's a process, everybody. And because your Savior is patient with you, we're just trying to be like Jesus. Does that mean that you should wait three years? That's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is Sometimes it's a process. For some of us, it's immediate. The next day, we're ready to get baptized. For others of us, it might take a little bit longer. But I want you to know that Jesus is in the midst with all of that, and he is walking with you. He's not pushing you. He's not pulling you. But he is walking alongside of you. And Nicodemus was impacted because Jesus met him in a dark place shared what was true, exposed the truth by shedding the light of his glory on the situation, and we see that Nicodemus began to transform through what Jesus had done. John chapter 19. We're going to see the conclusion of this transformation. Jesus has been crucified. He has surrendered his life for all those who are broken, for every man and woman who has sinned. He has said, I have paid the price, and he did it by surrendering his life. And in John chapter 19, we pick up on Jesus right after he has been crucified and killed, and we find two unlikely people there. Says this beginning in verse number 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. 
This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At this place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they led Jesus there. We see that Nicodemus steps into the light at the point of Jesus' death. Very interesting. How do we step into the light? At the point of Jesus' death. When we go, I recognize what he has done, and I accept that payment. And so here we have Nicodemus stepping into the light, going public and going, hey, he was who he said he was. But we also see that stepping into the light is difficult. Just think about it from Joseph and Nicodemus' perspective. They are taking a body down from a cross, and they are preparing it. This is not an easy task. They also had to find themselves at a point of surrendering. What did they surrender? Well, they surrendered money. They might have surrendered their position in society because they have gone public and said, this king who said he was king, we are recognizing this king, and we are going to give him a king's burial. And they did it. I'm sure it was difficult because they had to surrender all the other things in order to accept what Jesus had offered them. Stepping into the light was also costly. I want you to think about something. We see a lady come and anoint Jesus with, I think they said like 10 pounds of myrrh, and it says that Nicodemus had 75 pounds of myrrh. That's a lot of myrrh, everybody. Also, I want you to think about this. You couldn't just go down to the local Piggly Wiggly and pick up some myrrh. There was a process in which it took in order to gather all the myrrh. And so you see that Nicodemus in this process was growing more confident, and he was collecting this myrrh the more he began to recognize who Jesus was. And so this 75 pounds of myrrh would probably be the equivalent to a lifetime of savings. So Nicodemus is about to anoint Jesus, who he now recognize, recognizes as a king, with his life savings. A better way to say this is, he recognized who Jesus was by surrendering his life. Now, I'm telling you, as I was reading this, I, not often when I'm preparing do I get a little weepy. But I'm thinking about this guy who had everything going for him, and at the point of Jesus' death, he goes, you know what, king? You can have it all because you are worthy. Stepping into the light means seeing Jesus for who he really is. And who is that? The king. Nicodemus has finally 
embraced Jesus for who he is. He has embraced this offering that this king had no business paying. And he goes, you know what? This is my king. How do we know that? Because of the way he walked it out. We don't see it in the way and what he said, but we see it in his life. He surrendered a life savings to anoint a king. Also think about this. The tomb in which they were going to lay Jesus in had never been used before. Tombs were expensive back in biblical times, everybody. And only kings would get a tomb that was not used. So you have his life savings. You have this tomb that has never been used. They recognized Jesus for who he was and what he had done. And what I love about this picture is I love it because it is an example of where we all can be. And maybe for you who have accepted this payment of Jesus, this is where you have been. You go, you know what, Jesus? You really are the king. You really do love me right where I am. You weren't afraid of the dark and you weren't afraid of getting dirty. And so you stepped out of glory into the midst of my mess. And through your payment, you gave me a new robe. You put food in my belly and you allowed me to sit at your table. And I can't help but to acknowledge that you are a king because you did something that only a king would do. Only a good king would do. You surrendered your throne, came after the one who ran away, and invited me to sit at your table. And Nicodemus recognized who Jesus was as king. And here's what I love. Is that the only fitting response to exposure to light is worship. I don't think anyone had to go, hey, Nicodemus, you probably should go give him all the myrrh. You probably should put him in the tomb that's never been used. You know what? I think Nicodemus can help himself. Because I think he went, do you see what my king did? My king stepped out of glory. My king surrendered his life on the cross. I can't help but acknowledge him as king. So I'm going to give him a burial that is reserved only for a king. I'm going to offer him my life. I'm going to offer him my worship. Why? Because he is worthy. Listen, if you have come into relationship with Jesus, we shouldn't have to make you raise your hands. Every time you hear the name of Jesus and you're reminded of the price that he paid for you, you can't help but go, whoa, look what my king did. Not because I deserved it, not because I was worthy, but that's just what kind of king he is. And I'm telling you in this place, that is what kind of king loves you. He offered himself as a willing sacrifice to win you back, to buy you back. And you might be sitting here and you might be going, but Nick, you don't know me. Can I just tell you something as honestly as I can? I don't have to know you because I know my king. And I know if my king was willing to surrender his life for someone as broken as me, he has done the same for you. So maybe today is the day where you stop telling the king why you can't accept his payment. Maybe you stop telling the king why you can't accept his love. And maybe today is the day where you say, okay, king, if you want this broken mess, you can have it. If you want me and all the mess, you can have it. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of telling you why you shouldn't love me. And maybe, just maybe, right here in this moment, it's the moment where you go, I just say yes. I will sit at the table and I will eat until I'm full.
because you made a way for me where when there was no way. So yes, King Jesus, this is a grace that I have never tasted before, but it will change me. It has changed me. It has taken me from death to life. So maybe that's where you are in this place today. If you would, I want you to bow your heads. Jesus, maybe in this place right now, maybe there's someone watching online right now. Maybe there's somebody at Buchanan right now that's going, all right, Jesus, all right. I will say yes to the grace that you offer. I will say yes to the payment on the cross. And right now in this moment, if you could pray something like this, Jesus, I don't understand it all. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the payment that was paid on a cross for me. And I say yes to a place at your table that has been sealed through your grace. And on the authority of God's word, if you prayed something like that, it says that you will be saved. Another way of saying that is you have a seat at the table of a king and you have become as a son or daughter of a king. And there is nothing anybody can do about it because it's sealed in the blood of the lamb. And so Jesus, for those who have said yes to you in this moment, may they know that your grace is sufficient and that your grace is amazing and may they drink full from the cup that you have offered them. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, remind us in this place of this amazing, amazing grace. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.